When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tamara McMillan, author and award-winning lecturer who teaches at the collegiate level. Known for her passion, Tamara's speaking, training, and facilitation leaves an indelible mark on all who have the luxury of experiencing them. Tonight, she hangs out with a leadership strategist as they talk whiskey, jazz, and leadership. This is straight talk you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Galen Bingham, and this is Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Cheers. All right. All right. We are moving into another conversation. I, I've got another heavy hitter that has been actually been like in my mind, like that higher level top shelf stuff. That's who we're talking to this time. All of my friends are really top shelf, but this person here has actually earned a nickname at times, I can't even remember her real name because, you know, all of my friends and all the folks we hang out together, we just started calling her mic drop because uh, when it comes time to talk about the real thing, Miss Tara McMillan is at top shelf. And so we're going to get into that. Uh, so uh, Tamara, hello, hello. Hey, welcome. Hey. Thank you for having me on. And you and you must be right. You know, my drop must be so, so much more prominent than Tamara because she was like, OK, Tara, no, Tamara, right there. Tara, Tara, Tara. Yes, yes. Mic drop. Yes, Mike. drop. They call you <laughs> mic drop. There it is. The comfortability factor. So Tamara McMillan, I mean, I've already shared with you a little bit of her bio but I'm just going to ask you to come in to the conversation, share a little bit about what you do, how you do it, why you do it. Let's let's just have this conversation. But I got to start with the most important question that I sure. usually start with, and that is, what you drinking? So I am drinking in my wonderful relax and unwind cordial glass. I am drinking Moscato Diasti. It's a white Italian sweet and it's Stella Rosa, the actual brand. So that's what I'm drinking. Oh man. See, I'm sticking with my whiskey. <laughs> whiskey is your street, right? Whiskey is what you do and you do it well. I know that I need to stay on my street. So, but what are you drinking? You know, I, I knew that I was going to have this conversation with Mike Drop. So uh, <laughs> I decided to go with this is 1792, Ooh. and there are several different derivations of this, but this is the foolproof 1792. Mm. Okay. And so I'm just going to pop this open right, right now. Please pop that open. And pour a little bit in. I hear that smooth pour. There you go. There you go. 
Look at that. So uh, I'm I'm ready to go. So now I, I think I'm going to get a little, just a little taste. A little taste. Yeah. Listen to you talk and share with the audience. <laughs> who is Tamara McMillan? Give them just a little taste as to why you have earned and continue to earn your nickname. Wow. Tamara. You know, I always think about this question. I know that you and I often in the circle that we keep, we talked about this question, who are you and what do you know for sure? And it's a question that you ask of your clients. It's a question that I ask of mine and also my scholars in this classroom space. And it's a foundational question. And you and I have found in that that many people can't answer it or haven't taken the time, haven't done the work. So I will say, I remember watching Oprah and Eckhart Tolle and they were on a stage and having this conversation about, you know, different things. And he said, um, she asked him a question and he said, well, I'm hopeful that if this question presents itself later, that my answer will be different. So I preface that to say, if someone had asked me this question 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe even two months ago, my answer, I'm hopeful that it will be different. Why? Because I'm hopeful that I'm always on this escapade of evolving. So who am I? Um, at the end of the day, when the dust settles, I am a liberated project chick from the east side of Buffalo. Um, I am a failure fanatic. I am one of three daughters raised by a single mother who was my first example of a Black feminist and a sports fanatic. So ta-da, how would I not be a feminist and a womanist and a sports fanatic? And, you know, Galen, it really wasn't until I began pulling back the layers and taking those dots that I had been collecting throughout my what life and you talk about compartmentalization and began putting them together into a framework that was authentic to me that I didn't even realize I had all of this great stuff that make Tamara Tamara and then I just said it I, I woke up one day <laughs> that's what I, I woke up and I was like you are a badass. So what are you hiding for? Why are you hiding? Because there's something important about your story. So that's who I am. And then what I do, because I believe in the importance of stories, I believe in the importance of narration, because there's a difference between telling and narrating. And you and I had this conversation as well. Narration brings fabric, color, life to those experiences as opposed to just saying, yeah, I felt second grade. I had a comprehension problems, right? So when you wrap them in fabric that offers a tapestry for others who are looking at you, you leave, again, a trail for them to realize that, guess what? All the things that happen to you are for you. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> wow. You guys get to see and hear the kind of folks that I hang out with on a sometimes daily basis. And Tamara is just an example of what it looks like, what it feels like to come out from behind mm -hmm. that version of yourself that you have been crafting for the public. 
And once you have the courage to come out from behind that, to quote Tamara, ta-da. <laughs> this, <laughs> is, this is what you get. This so, is it. So, you know, you, you and I have known each other for a bit. So I, I, I love to just kind of go over the story of how we met because don't know that we necessarily would have run in the same mm -hmm. circles were it not for this accident. This wow. beautiful collision, right? It was this beautiful collision, an intersection of some wonderful, talented individuals. I agree. Yeah. And so, and I, I'm just so glad that that accident happened. So from your perspective, what was the story that, that brought us together? How did the universe decide mm. that, that the leadership strategists need to meet this liberated <laughs> project chick? I think you once described yourself from the projects to pushing a Porsche? Yes, I, <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Mm -hmm. Yep, projects to a Porsche, I, that would be me, <laughs> I did. So um, the universe, don't you just love it? Because um, the universe always shows up. It's just waiting for us to come into the fold. So you and I, again, the brilliant intersection, we ended up being a part of a mastermind group Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, the backdrop, um, Black Speakers Association, and McNeely, who is an amazing talent. Like when you're talking about powerhouse, like powerful, that would be her. There's a picture of Anne right there. And in um, this particular group, so I don't even remember how many years ago it was, but you know, that's beside the point. Then because the group was so large, then they created subgroups within the master group. And we just happened, again, the universe said it was important for us to know one another, to be able to do what chair and champion one another on. It was important for us to be able to sit at one another's feet and what iron sharpens iron, baby. So we ended up being in this smaller group. And then when the mastermind ended, we continued on because there was so much great energy and synergy. So that's my story about how we came to be. And then it's, and it's how I want to say history because you're never getting rid of me because <laughs> I think you're <laughs> one of the most brilliant individuals, just the way you use your voice, your talent, your knowledge, your skills. I love your storytelling capabilities. And I will say like, hey, I wish that was me too. When we were talking about the connection earlier today, and I was like, wow, I want Galen to talk about me in that regard, because wow, I want to be, I want to be, you know, um, someone listening to him talk about how, you know, Tamara is this, that, and the other. So that was my little plug about, hey. I want that to be me too, but no, it's great stuff. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, you know, hey, every conversation we've had, and I really, I really want to get into some of the things that I've come to appreciate that that drive you. Okay. That a lot of people might not recognize until they have a conversation with you. So just mm. watching you on stage, very dynamic, uh, great communicator, a lot of energy, a lot of passion. But one of the things that they get to know once they talk to you is you are constantly talking about your work with your scholars. Mm. And I, you, know, you always call your students scholars. Yes. And that just seems to be at the corner of your passion point. Mm -hmm. uh, much like I talk, to, talk about my daughter, you yes, talk about your scholar. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about that 
where did that passion come from? Where did that language come from? I'm going to sip a little bit more on the seven, 1792. Okay. But I would just love to hear more of where that fire for your scholars has come from. Thank you for the question. And, and thank you for I'm acknowledging the work of an educator. I don't consider myself a teacher. I'm hopeful that I'm educating so that way I can emancipate. I teach at the collegiate level, taught at one particular time for three different departments. Now I teach for two different departments, the International Center for Studies and Creativity and Women and Gender Studies. And passion and fire came from me hashtagging failure fanatic. All right, so I mentioned earlier in the top of the segment how I felt second grade comprehension problems really didn't have a love for education. Although it was understood in our household, even though we grew up in the projects, the projects didn't grow up in us. And my mother instilled in my sisters and I that your education could be very well the leveling point. This could be the jump off to whatever it is that you wanted to do in life. But you needed to be able to sit at a table with any kind of person, regardless of where they're from. You need to be able to put two sentences together and conjugate a verb. You need to be able to advocate for yourself. I've had some good teachers and I've only had a few educators. Mm. And how do I know the difference? I, I, a matter of fact, I wrote a blog about it because I can only remember a few of my teachers' names, but those educators, those ones that have put an imprint on who I am and allowed me to soar and wasn't expecting me to kind of show up and play into the ideology of a Black woman, especially a Black woman from the projects, a Black woman from east side of Buffalo, New York, single parent home, you know, failed second grade reading comprehension, right? All these other things. So I was speaking first. The educating part came after. Worked in higher education um, and still do it again in, in different capacities. First, I was in student affairs and then I came to be in academic affairs. And I understood, if nothing else, Galen Bingham language. Even if I couldn't spell certain words, even if I didn't even know its complete depth and breadth, I understood language and its power. And then I, I taught. Um, UNC 100, which is a freshman course. It is to provide freshmen with, again, the landscape of how to move about where the services are when you need to go to the writing center, the writing lab, when you know to, when you need to go to work out, how do you stay engaged with the activities? And the majority of the scholars at the institution that I teach at are of black and brown. They look like you and I. So I said, hey girl, hey. You need to meet them where they are, as opposed to some of my other colleagues who want them to always come across the street. They want them to always come to where they are. And I said, well, if you're really wanting to be about impact, it's going to be about your language. Because the first thing you're going to see is that you're a Black woman. You wear your hair natural. One day I'm wearing my full afro. One day I'm wearing braids. One day I might be having a blowout. And then they're going to see the fact that you're 5'10". So they will already have an idea of what they think that you are. And you have to debunk that. And you do that with language. Mm -hmm. So on the very first day, I tell them, I'm not going to pass out a syllabi. We're going to experience one another. And if you're so inclined, I will see you on Wednesday. 
And, um, you know, and, and then at, I tell them that they're scholars and I tell them, if you've never heard it before, you will hear it here first. You are a scholar. You are worthy and your story is worthy. And this is the place to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm hopeful that you're going to be about again coming along for the ride and creating tribe because we I'm like, these are your tribe mates. Who's your tribe? Who's in the tribe? And who's better at this? So that way, when it's come time for us to put together our badass team, we can kick anybody's ass. Hmm. And they love that too. And I said, bring, bring your burdens into the space. Wow. Lay them down next to you. Wow. Wow. Another thing that anyone, I believe anyone will pick up on after listening to you or talking with you for They usually have to have a conversation with you for about 20 minutes or so, but they will usually hear you say some derivation of being a failure fanatic and just being really committed to, as Seth Godin, uh, I believe, talked about, you know, failing hard, failing fast. Tell me more about where that courage came from, because usually folks run from failure yeah. and they try to hide their failure. And if I had one, I'm certainly not going to tell you about it. Right? <laughs> that's for sure. That's usually that's usually how people approach failure. I've never seen anyone face to face in person who runs at failure with such ferociousness as you seem to do. Tell me more about what that is, why that is, and where that comes from. So failure fanaticism, plain and simple, comes from me failing (laughs) a lot in my life. And early on, before I was able to take those dots out of my pocket and begin creating a framework, I thought that those failures were me. I thought that that was my lot in life. I thought that all of those things that did not work out meant that I was not to work out. My failed marriage, even relationships, failing second grade, reading comprehension problems, and then even failing through jobs to finally end up in the space that I knew I was supposed to be in. I always knew early on, Galen, how does the saying go? Early on in life, we come in contact with our calling, but we don't recognize it because it's too big. It's too enormous. And we don't believe that we're enough to fill the space. Mm. So I just said, you know, well, the majority of things that I went into, I was in expectation of some form of failure, if not in the beginning, in the middle, or definitely the end. Then I became a mother (laughs) Right. You know, this, oh, this, there's an opportunity for failure. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, what in the world am I doing that she didn't come with a handbook? And then, you know, her father and I end up separating my ex-husband. and I, We end up separating. She was two turning three. I had to move back in with my mother and with a daughter. I had very little money of my own. I had to go into my 401k. So failure was all around me. And I was like, oh, my goodness, Tamara, you have this beautiful brown girl looking up at you, holding onto your pant leg. And she's expecting you to be able to take this hand and win. Because she didn't ask to be here. She's here because she was made out of love. And what are you going to do? So that was that. And I said, well, if nothing else, I'm going to try for Jante. If nothing else. 
I didn't want to try for myself because I felt like I'd let myself down. But for my daughter, and you know this, for our children, we show up and we show up in grandeur. I mean, bells, whistles, feathers, you name it, I have it. And I said, okay, so I, I leaned on my positioning of a mother as a mother, as an individual who would not allow her daughter just to be about mindlessly, not on my watch anyway. So then I was like, okay, then the education come. And I said, well, and and I started reprogramming my language, reading, coming in contact. I haven't had a TV in my room since 1998. 1998, because what I understood was right now, based off of media, social media advertisements, the average person spends over 10 hours, right? A 10 hours a week watching television. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then think, and so then think about the imageries, right? And then think about the imagery of black and brown people. So I got tired of why, and even, let me say this, it was subconscious. I didn't even know I was saying no to the negativity about the message they were sending me as a black girl. I just said, no, I need my room to be about solace and peace. I need it to be about journaling. So I got to know me. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking at all the things that so-called failed at. And I said, well, what ways, how might you make this not about you, not wanting to show, again, your failures, not wanting to tell about the divorce, not wanting to tell about how women, for the most part, and primarily women of color, suffer in silence. Because I remember asking my ex-husband for a divorce. I went through that process by myself. Mm-hmm. And I was suffering. And having the conversation with my sisters afterward, they said, we could see that there was something going on, but I wouldn't let in because I said, if this ends up being the wrong decision, I want it to be mine. And that's when I started taking the language and making it different and then owning all of my decisions. And I just started turning it on its ear and making it something positive. Also, as an educator, this is what I know. Because of the negative connotation attached, associated, the darkness of failure. Oh my goodness, you failed a second grade. Oh my goodness, you failed your driving test. Oh my goodness, you failed at marriage. You failed at relationships. Oh my goodness, you failed in business. Oh my goodness, you failed at whatever the number of things we can wrap around that. I said, well, if we look at failure, not as a foe, but as a feature how different would the conversation be? So I say, if I'm not failing, I'm not succeeding because we learn more from my failures than we do the successes. Oh my, that is so true. You know, I, I've said to several people and clients, both professional clients and, and just personal friends, mm-hmm. I've never ever taken on a project, uh, knocked it out of the box, and then said, okay, now let's sit down and take a look at what happened there. What can we learn from that? And how, let's dissect that right. experience and maybe flush out five or six points that we want to remember next time. I don't think I've ever done that. But boy, those times when I didn't get that right at all. And I still don't know what I'm going to do <laughs> next time, but I know I'm not going to do that. Right. <laughs> Let's detail some things to make sure I don't do that again. Right. Not not exactly. You know, and, and you know, I, I say to my my physical brother, there is nothing wrong with making a mistake, but 
it, don't make the exact same mistake <laughs> over yeah, we and would over. Call that, yeah, we would call that redundant. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you have, I, I know of people from afar. I've read about people. I've watched videos of people that have embraced failure, but you are the only person that I have physically touched that has embraced failure to this degree and literally you've taken you've taken the power from it you've taken the power that that people usually give over to failure by way of fear mm-hmm. um, because in some of the work that I've done understanding the brain you can have all of these great plans you can have all these executive faculties but when that amygdala kicks in and fear all that stuff goes out the window. All that brilliance goes out the window. And and usually the biggest fear that we have is the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And when you've taken that number one fear and made that your food, made that your nourishment, <laughs> what's left? Listen, I'm not certain, but we will just keep moving. But And you're absolutely right. And, and in that, I did it for myself because I needed to because I knew that there was something that was bigger than myself that I was supposed to be doing because we all have something specific that we've been given by the universe and it must be done. So the thing that Galen has to do, you have to do it. You can't delegate that to your brother, your father, your daughter, your wife. The thing that Tamara was created to do from the universe, I can't delegate to that to my sisters or my mothers. So, and if these beautiful works aren't created and executed, they go undone. Mm. They go undone. And then as the great Hova would say to be, yo, this spiritual shit really works, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, and then when you understand talking about the amygdala, talking about the seat of logic, and you understand that the universe is there. It wants to support you, but it's waiting for you to step into it. So what did you say? How do you become your best self? How do you become, how do you come into the fullness of what it is that you're supposed to be doing for the benefit of other people? Because when we make someone else's life better, our life becomes better because it's about servant leadership. Mm. And then when I saw it working and it started unfolding and I was like, okay, let's test it again. Cause you know, it's kind of like, and that's what happens, Galen. I'm not certain. We talk about this in a masterclass. Remember one person, they they do it and I'm like, okay, I made it. And then they say, what? complacent and stagnant. But what you do is you do, you got to take another jump, the big leap. You got to take another leap. You got to throw yourself into it. So then that way, the universe knows that you know your life is real. Mm. My life is real. I'm supposed to drive a Porsche. That's my life. So that's why when I came back from Dubai last year, I got another one. Just to make my <laughs> life know that I'm real. So I don't even have the, I don't even have the brown one. I have a white one now. Uh. Because that's our greatness. That's our birthright. Abundance. I love it. Abundance. And then translating that into the the classroom for the students, I'm like, well, so I tell them this. If you were supposed to come out of your mother's womb knowing all things, why did they create institutions of education? Hmm. There wouldn't be anything for any of us to learn. And... Wait for it. We get everything right the first time. 
then what the hell will we get around together and talk about? <laughs> it would be so boring. Oh, well, I know I'm going to get this right. Okay, yeah. I, well, I know this steak is going to be the best thing ever. Oh, I know this my seafood is going to be excellent. I know the first person I marry is going to be the person I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. I know my children are all going to do the right thing. They're going to go to Harvard and Yale and Rhode Island and Howard and North Carolina A&T and FAMU and they're going to be marching band and they're going to pledge, you know, again, the capital, they're going to be an AK, they're going to be all of these great things. What would we talk about? This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.